quite as hearty as the 8.30 service that was here this morning, though. <clears throat> Anybody sore? If you're not, it's because you haven't plowed to get out yet. Drove it over it all. Yeah. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, raise your hand and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I, think I, I think I know most everybody here this morning, but if there's a chance I don't, my name's Jesse, and I want to welcome you and, and uh, just, to, again, appreciate you being here. Uh, on a Sunday <clears throat> that uh, is a little bit harder for people to get to. We're going to do topical probably for a couple more weeks until we get into March, and then um, we're going to get into the book of Ruth. I'd like to just gain a little bit of attraction. It's kind of hard to uh, to start a series uh, when when we've had as many storms that land on a Sunday, and it makes it harder for some of our locals uh, who, uh, <clears throat> who live here to get here and, and all of that. So be looking forward to the Ruth study coming up. And then uh, I just want to give a good shout out and thank you too to all the individuals that help you know open up this church. There's a couple churches actually. I don't know if you know this in town that that actually just called their services off. Said we're not doing church today. There's just too much snow. And uh, but we you know we have the the personnel and and staff and and volunteers who help out. Jeremy was shoveling this morning and helping out. Andy showed up with his snowblower to make sure some of the kids' area was cleared out and. The Ruperts do a great job plowing our uh, driveway so so you don't uh, have to, you know, wade through all the snow and people salt everything so you don't slip and fall and sue us and, and all of that. So uh, <clears throat> quite a bit of work that goes on. And then, and then you know, just all, of, all the volunteers that showed up too. I think at the first service for between 8.30 and 8.40, uh, there was like 15 or 20 of us here, I think. And it was all volunteers that were here to help. And then more showed up as time came on, but... Uh, some of those volunteers, you know, showed up from Tahoe. Donner, which, you know, thankful that you would travel from Alaska to, to see us. And and then uh, <clears throat> our children's directors, you know, they the last two weeks it snowed on a Sunday like this. And, and our children's directors have made the trip from Reno, uh, which is really cool. So I just, if you give them a hand and say thank you to them for their service. and Helps us, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty neat that no matter what, rain or shine we do church here and, and it's it's not always about the big crowd sometimes it's just about you know you're here because you need it you're here because the lord wanted you here yeah uh so um ephesians chapter two if you would stand with me we're going to read first 10 verses here and then this morning um we're going to talk about the gospel and good works i think it's a good tie-in from being in james and uh and, and just kind of want to highlight some things here that I think are important for us. So, chapter 2, verses 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, one, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Trust you, Lord, to speak to us this morning, <clears throat> to use today as a form of encouragement that you're near to us, Lord, that life is about more than just shoveling or snowblowing or skiing or sledding or whatever else it is that we may involve ourselves in. It's about an intimate walk with you that gives us true gladness and joy. Use my words this morning, Lord, to draw us near to you. Jesus' name, the church said, may be seated. So, <clears throat> we, we've said before, like, we don't do, you know, topical messages on a Sunday all that often. Um, and there's nothing wrong with them. I mean, one of my favorite preachers is Charles Spurgeon. And, and, man, he was just an amazing Bible teacher. You know, he was called the Prince of Preachers. He has a great book I had to go through early on uh, called Lectures to My Students. He actually, Charles Spurgeon actually was a man that uh, trained other pastors to be pastors. And uh, he, he typically wrote topically. And he, he typically also was a manuscript preacher. Now, not some of this I recognize you don't care about. But, you know, a manuscript preacher as opposed to an outline preacher. A manuscript preacher literally writes out his entire message. It's all written down. And, uh, and then, you know, there's others that don't use notes at all. I, I've, I've known some very successful pastors literally only use post-it notes in their Bible. And they're incredible preachers. Because a lot of what preaching, you know, what comes out of preaching is years of studying and experience and application of how the Word attaches itself to life in general. And um, so anyways, all that to say there's nothing wrong with the that approach to topical. In fact, you can read a lot of, most of, if not all, of Charles Spurgeon's sermons today uh, because they were written down, and so we have access to them. So there's a, a great privilege to that, the fact that he was a manuscript preacher and not just an outline preacher. Um, the reason I mention that is because even though I'm doing topical, I still can't avoid to do what is necessary within you know the, the exegetical part of preaching, which is to bring out the original content. So so I want to do just a little bit of work so you understand what Paul is, is writing to and why he's writing it to those that he's writing it to in the city of Ephesus and what's happening in Ephesus at this time, which will help, I think, make this passage come more alive to us. It's written specifically to the saints of Ephesus. So the primary audience is, though, is for those of us that would call ourselves Christians. We've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ inside of the capital of the Roman uh, the Roman province of Asia, which is now modern-day Turkey. This city was a bustling city. It was a political center. It was a center for arts. Um, <clears throat> it, was, it was a large city, too. It was 250,000 people lived in Ephesus. And so when Paul's writing, he's writing to not just one church, but many churches within Ephesus. Inside of Ephesus was a, was a Colosseum, sat 25,000 people, uh, which, which is a good-sized soccer stadium. And, and so... Being a center of entertainment and, and all of that, it all, not only was it a political center and an entertainment center, it was a religious center for pagan worship. It was known as a bustling place where culture was, was created. It came out of Ephesus, trickled into the rest of the known world, and that pagan worship was part of it. Inside of Ephesus was, was actually one of the most well-known uh, temples, the Temple of Artemis, also known as the Temple of Diana. It was a large temple. It actually had been destroyed, I think, on three different occasions and rebuilt 
It was so important to their people. The, the temple was 425 feet long by 220 feet wide. And, and it was made surrounding it. If you see common, you know, modern pictures of it today, well, there's only a foundation of it modernly. But if you see pictures uh, of someone who's depicted what it looked like, there's, uh, there's large marble pillars that surrounded the entire uh, temple. There was, in fact, 127 of them. And out of those 127 marbles, those, all of them, each, each one of them, were 62 feet tall. Now, you have to wrap your mind around the, the reality here that they, they don't, did not have modern-day tools to make these things. And I've known people, I haven't had the privilege to do it, uh, I've always wanted to go to Europe and some of these other places to visit some of these, uh, uh, you know, Turkey and things like that, to see these things for myself. But <clears throat> some of those pillars uh, that were made in the Roman era still stand and they're perfectly cylindrical. They're 10 feet wide, and they're perfect. They look absolutely perfect, as if they were made by a machine, though there was no machines uh, at that time. Now, this temple uh, was set to uh, worship Diana, the goddess of the hunt, the goddess of the woods, the goddess of fertility, which adds to this reality. In, in, in this day, there were temples that, that were actually used uh, for temple prostitution, sexual worship. And so this, this idea of, of this culture just, you know, being sin-filled, a pagan center, this is where, like, the church uh, did some of its best work. This is where Paul decided to plant churches. In fact, this particular church, Paul pastored it, I think it was for three years, and then later he passed it to, uh, he, he discipled a young man and then passed, passed it to Timothy. And Timothy became uh, the pastor of this particular church. And Paul loved Timothy. Timothy loved Ephesus. And so Timothy becomes the pastor of this particular church. Now, I want you to understand this because Paul's writing to them in this backdrop, and he uses this language, understanding the kind of people that were saved in Ephesus were these kind of people. Look at verse 1. He says in verse 1, And you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in, in which you once walked following the course of the world, and then he, he tells us there's this spiritual dynamic of what was happening in Ephesus, spiritual dynamic that's happening here, that this, this center of cultural pagan worship coming out of Ephesus, you were following the prince of the power of the air, that's, that's Satan himself. That he, He's speaking of an, a, a, a satanic uh, presence that existed in Ephesus that was helping create this very sinful culture. He goes on and says, whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. The first thing I want you to see is the predicament. Okay, This is part one of the message. Now we're flowing a little bit more topically here. Part one of the message is you, you have to understand your predicament. The predicament in which Paul writes to, speaking into this particular city, is that you were once dead in your trespasses. They were say dead. Okay, now this isn't, this isn't your uh, princess bride kind of death, right? Not mostly dead, completely dead, obliterated. You, you have no sense. You can't see. You, you're not alive. And the reason you're dead is because of sin. And so now, now we've got to do a little bit of work within, within the study and understanding what sin is. And we have to not shy away from it uh, because what, what happens is, is I've, had, I've had leaders in ministry tell me they don't like to talk about sin because it's not fun for people to hear. And people get offended by it. 
And, and if, you, if you're going to offend people, like, because God is the God of love. We're going to get that in a, to that in a moment. But God's a God of love. And so I've been told by leaders, they've literally said to me, we just like to emphasize the love of God. It's the love of God that brings people to Jesus Christ. Now, the, the, hard, the hearty response to that is, amen. However, love shines brightest, grace shines brightest when you understand the predicament of sin that every single person is dealing with. And so Paul, Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, you live in a dark city. Ephesus is a dark place. You came from those dark individuals. You know those same people that are going to that very large temple and they're worshiping Artemis and they're worshiping false pagan gods? You are just like them. You once were them. So let's not forget that, that that's who you once were. So the predicament is sin. John Piper defines sin this way. Great short little definition here. Sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all things. And the bottom of sin, the root of all sinning, is such a heart, a heart that prefers anything above God, a heart that does not treasure God over all other persons, all other things, and I would even add to that in our culture, all other activities. See, what he's saying is sin is essentially taking anything in your life. It could be a person, right? It could be a thing, or as I just added, it could, be, it could be an activity, and you revolve your whole calendar and your whole life around that activity because that is what is most important to you, right? You can say that you love Jesus, and you can say that you love God, and you care greatly about the gospel, but then if I look at your life, if I just look at your calendar, or if I look at the way that you spend your money, it may say something completely different. Right? And, and you know, here's how you know if you've revolved yourself around something other than God, if you've turned something other than God into the most important thing. So let me backtrack here for a moment. So when Paul's talking about what's going on in Ephesus, and we understand that the temple and all of that, we've said this before, we're going to say it again. No one is worship neutral. Everybody worships something. Everybody gives their life to something. Everybody is, is you, you are religious. I don't care who you are. There's no such thing as non-religious. Everybody's religious, and everybody has a liturgy. Is anybody familiar with that term, liturgy? Liturgy, it's a process of how you do things. That's all it is. So some people say, I really like liturgical churches, right, where the pastor wears a robe, and they have the same, same service every Sunday, and it follows the liturgy, confession, repentance, gospel, right? And now, we don't do a lot of that, but we still have a liturgy. Right? You show up, we sing songs, we do announcements, we sing songs, you get a message, sing songs, you leave. It's not a complicated liturgy, but it's a liturgy. Okay? Everybody has liturgy, meaning everybody revolves their life around something and they're religious. So if you get up in the morning and you th- the first thing you think about, the first thing you think about is there's four feet of fresh snow on the mountain. And so then you, you start to revolve your whole week around the fresh four feet of snow. Right? I, I've, I've known people, being a guy that grew up playing video games, I've known adult men when a game is launched who have called work, called into work, they're not working the next day. So they could spend all day playing that new video game. Okay? I know that seems super ridiculous to some of you. And to others of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So it's revolving. If I, again, if I look at how you spend your money, Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So, right, you look and you go, I mean, this is the stuff that gets all kind of a little con- like convicting because then you start looking, if you start looking at your checking account, you see what pops up most. For some of you, it's going to say Starbucks, like Starbucks, groceries, movie, Starbucks, Starbucks, right? Those things become things that we, we revolve our life around them and we make liturgy out of them. And, and then we end up following them. And he's saying, what he's saying is when you, when you take your calendar and you take your checkbook and you revolve your life around anything, if it's not God, it's sin. Because you're not treasuring God as great. So the reverse of that is saying, listen, God is going to be in charge of everything. That's what it means to make him Lord. He's going to be in charge of my calendar. He's going to be in charge of how I spend my money. And that doesn't mean all of a sudden, right, because some people get really legalistic. That doesn't mean you don't spend your money on a movie. It doesn't mean you stop spending money on Starbucks, right? But I've known people have been like, well, I'm not going to do this anymore because they just raised the price by $5. Like, it's a cup of coffee, right? I mean, do you guys feel blessed at SBC that for the most part, like, everything we do here is free to you? I mean, you could go right now and steal coffee from the coffee shop and no one's going to care. Some of you do it every week. Right? You could take a book out of the bookshelf. We've done marriage seminars free. All of our youth events, for the most part, when we, when we send kids to a, a youth event, very rarely is it more than $150. You know, if you send your kid to camp, it's like 500 bucks. Plus the cost of this, plus the cost. For the most part, like, we're able to just give things away. Someone comes in, no one we've ever met. They have a problem. We go to the bookstore. One of the pastors just give them a book. Might be a $30 book. Take the book. When we've had interns, they, we don't make the interns pay for any of the books. We, I think 700 bucks for an intern to, do, to intern here, just in books. Right? It's, all, it's all free. And so when, when we look at these things, we go, man, thank you, Lord, that, that you've given us just free reign to live life according to you. It doesn't mean that we, we, it does not mean that we don't spend money on things, but it does mean that we start to change the way we think when it comes to money and our activities and the way that we work and the way that we play. All of those things start to change because we, we get that God should be supreme. Yeah? Now it goes on, and, and the definition of sin, he says, sin uh, quick little piety statements here. Sin is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the promises of God not believed, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. All of these things are sin. Now, let's, let's, make, let's make a side caveat note to understand <clears throat> that sin is doing anything that isn't treasuring God as number one and, and that there are these kind of what we look at in the Bible and go, okay, there's rules to life. And God says, listen, you've got to live a particular way, and if you don't live that way, that's sin. And then what Ephesians says, he goes on, he says, when you're doing that, you're investing into death, and you're, you're trespassing against God. You're sinning against God. And so we look at those things, that does not sound like fun, that doesn't sound good, that doesn't make me feel good about myself. Could you please like get a little bit more to self-esteem, a little bit more to self-help? Could you give me more of that? Is what people want. And Paul warned Timothy, he said, people are going to heap up for themselves teachers that tickle their ears. 
to say the things that they want. And I, we have to talk about this. And so we have to also understand that, that God sets up these rules not because he's a God of rules, but because he's a God who wants you to live life in a way that truly is enjoyable. Really interesting. Uh, <clears throat> my wife teases me because I, I know way too much about pop culture than I should. And uh, I study pop culture. I actually do it on purpose. Help me understand the world we live in and why people think the way they think. So anyways, I, I came across this really interesting article in Vogue magazine. Don't ask me why I read in Vogue magazine. I don't. I came across it on social media. I just love in Vogue. It's a great magazine. Um, and anyway, it was, it was an article on Justin Bieber and his new wife, Haley Baldwin. Have you, have you seen it? If you have a chance to, <clears throat> to read it, I would encourage you to read it. So supposedly, and I don't know, I don't know Justin Bieber, we're not friends. I'm sad about that, but we're not. Okay, I, I do on occasion listen to some of his songs because I don't know, there's just something about that girly pop stuff gets me going. And, um, <laughs> I, yeah, do it again. Okay, so he recently just got married to Haley Baldwin, and her father is a Christian. They, they go to some real big churches, uh, same church as Chris Pratt has been going to. Um, they're, they're not churches that I necessarily uh, agree with theologically on many levels, but nonetheless, they proclaim Jesus Christ and have made some cultural statements and stuff. And anyways, the article, really interesting, because basically what Justin has done before marrying Haley is he went on a self a self-induced, he called it a self-induced, might be a better word than induced. Um, but basically, he, he abstained from sexual intercourse for a year before marrying her. And the reason he did it is he said because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he, his getting in this relationship with him has, has led, with Haley Baldwin, has led him to go down the path of realizing that Jesus is the way. So you've got a young man who's been famous since 12. 12 was 12 years old when he became famous. He's been famous his whole entire life, which jacks with you. Just look at the life of Michael Jackson. You get famous young, it ruins you. And so he's recognized this, and, and, and he is in this place where he's recognizing Jesus. He says in the statement, he says in the article, part of the article, that, that uh, he's not into religion. He's into the message of Jesus Christ. He does go to church, but he's not into religion uh, in, the, in the sense of rules. But, but he said, I, I, there's something about this message of Jesus Christ that appeals to me that calls to me that I want, that both of them want in their marriage. And the article, my wife read it, and she said, man, there, there is some really private stuff in this article. They're very raw, very open about their sin and about their relationship with God. One of the things that Justin says in there is he says, he says, the reason I abstained from sexual sin is not because God is full of rules, because that's not the case. He said, the reason I abstained is, he said, I see in the Bible it teaches that, that we're happiest and we're saved from harm when we live according to the Bible's rules. Okay, now, that's crazy that this guy's saying it, right? But he's, not, he's also saying it in a way that's more gospel-centered than I've heard some preachers say from the pulpit. Now, we've said it this way before. When God says, here's your rules, it's no different than a fish in water. A fish is only truly free with the right restrictions and boundaries. Right? You take a fish out of water, it dies. It's no longer free. And God is saying the same thing. He's saying, listen, you're no different. You're the created thing. A fish was created to live in water, to thrive in water. 
right? Well, you see, have you ever seen a, um, a, a, I think a great picture of this I didn't think of in the first service is a penguin. You ever see a penguin out of water? Awkward. I'm not kidding you. Watch a nature show. They fall down all the time. Like even penguins can't walk in ice and they live there all the time. But then they get in the water. Have you seen a penguin in the water? Man, they can dodge killer whales. It's amazing. And so God, because we're the created thing, God creates penguins. He says, listen, yeah, you're on land sometime, but you're not really going to really thrive there. And even God has created animals to just enjoy their environment. And there's something, you see penguins when they swim, they're, they're enjoying it. Same thing with dolphins. You ever seen dolphins get up behind a boat and surf the wave? They're, they're just loving it because that is their nature, right? And God has created humans the same way. You're the created thing. You're no different than the fish. You have boundaries. The big difference is, unlike the fish, we have this issue of sin. The fish doesn't have the ability to go, you know what? I am tired of living in the water. I'm going to the land. Because if they do, they die. Us, on the other hand, because we sin, we we go down that path. Forget the water, Lord. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live life according to my own rules. And I'm going to shape God in my own image. God's actually okay with things that the Bible clearly says he's not okay with. And so you now have Christians who have who have warped the idea of what sex looks like and have warped the idea of what even truthfulness looks like, and they've made God literally in their own image. This is all what sin is. And and I'm I'm saying all this to say that when you do that, what he's saying here is you're leading yourself towards death, and and it's murderous to you. You're becoming less of a human being every time you make a decision to not love God the way that God says you love him. And see, the, the, problem, the problem is if all I do is give you the love of God, which we're going to get to, by the way. If all I give you is that, and I don't give you the wrath that's mentioned here, and I don't give you the sin that's mentioned here, I'm not helping you. And I'm, what I'm actually doing is I'm, I'm diminishing the value of grace. Grace becomes more astonishing, more shocking when you understand this concept. I had a gentleman who came to me, he said, Love your Bible teaching. He's been coming for, I don't know, a month, month and a half. Love your preaching. You're right on. I just have one issue, though. Uh, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, one of your young men, we sang it this morning, sang, sang that song, uh, uh, The Radical Love of God, The Reckless Love of God. I'm trying to think. And he said, he said <clears throat> that's theologically wrong. God's love is not reckless, right? And he, he mentioned reckless driving and, and even the elders and some of us we've had we've had to talk about that song do we want to sing that song we've mentioned it before and and the, the idea behind the song and if you look at the guy who wrote it he's saying god's love isn't like reckless like he's like oh i just do whatever i want i'm god you know it's not like that it's reckless in the sense like like this is who we are this is what we do this is how sin filled we are and he still abandons himself to us it, it would appear, if you study the gospel the way that it's intended, it would appear reckless. Why would God, in, 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 in any logical thinking, <laughs> at least on the surface level, love you knowing you were this? It seems to be reckless. Now, we know it isn't. We know that it's not. he's not just doing this by the seat of his pants. No, he, he is doing it because now we get to the good stuff. Why? 
because of his love and his mercy. Where, where's that? But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when, when? When you were dead in your trespasses. Now, I've got some memories of a, as a college student that I wish I didn't have. I've done some things I wish I didn't do. So if you know what I'm talking about, like you just wish like when you become born again, the Lord would come down in your brain and just scrub the dirty, you know, like dirty grout, just get it all out of there, and then you don't have it anymore. But it's still there. The images are still there. The memories are still there. Some of the feelings are still there. Some of the guilt is still there. Some of the shame is still there. Like I'm still very aware that like that guy is still kind of alive in me, still capable of the ugliness, still capable of that, which is wrong. And, and then this verse just shatters that and says, listen, that, you know, that memory, you know, that thing you did, you know, that sin you committed, that's when I died for you. Why? Because I loved you. Because he has a, a kind of love, a kind of mercy that exists within him that, that just, just surpasses anything that we could think or explain. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, do you know, do you know the, the fact that you are here this morning is a declaration of love? I read some study that said, said there, there's like a 1 in 715 million chance that you're born. Right? You were the one sperm that made it. I mean, I, can't, I tried to think in the first service of, a, of a, a cleaner way of saying it, but the Bible, the Greek word is sperma. Does that sound better? You're the one sperma that made it. Out of, out of millions. And let's be honest, you look around the room, you go, it wasn't the smartest one, was it? Like, there's, like if you look, if, like if I just speak for myself and I go, I go, the one that, this, this is the one that made it? Man, what was going on? Somehow, some way, and what the Bible says is, the Bible actually says that before, before he, he, he knew you before you were even conceived. Ephesians chapter 1 says, he predestined you before the foundation of the world. He knew you before the foundation of the world. So, so you're, all of that to say is, Statistically, scientifically, you being here is a miracle. Heavenly, not a miracle. On purpose. You're the one that made it. Why? He loves you. He wanted to place his love upon you. And he cares for you. I mean, this is amazing love. And, and you, you have to understand, again, we go without this reality. Let, let me... Let me uh, um, Keller says this about love. He's got some great ways of describing love. He, he says this, love without truth, the sin stuff I just mentioned, is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but it keeps us in denial about our flaws. You see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, if I, all I give you is love, I'm actually keeping you in denial about your flaws. Then he goes on and says, truth without love, well, that's harsh. If you just get, give truth and you don't give love, you're just a mean person. It gives us information, but in such a way that we can't really hear it. God's saving love, which is mentioned here in Ephesians 2, 
in Christ, however, is marked both by radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. See, the, the full gospel, and this, I felt like this was important in James because we talked so much about what it is to live in a right way in James. Right? Let your speech be good. Love the widow and the poor. Like, do, here's the things you should do. And grace, it seems almost on, a, on the surface level when you read James, on a surface level, it almost seems absent. And so I, I want to take some time to just reassure us of this reality of the radicalness of grace. Grace is the motivator that gets you to say, okay, okay, I've been awakened to God's love. And this is what happens when, when you become born again. You become awakened to things that you weren't aware of. And what's really amazing is, is in the Christian life, as a journey, God like, almost takes you from awakening to awakening to awakening. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like one day someone said, you know what? I want you to come to church with me. And you've said no like a hundred times. There, this was a guy that, uh, I'm thinking of this guy who used to come to church here for a long time. His name was Boomer. How many of you remember Boomer? My mom invited Boomer to church like hundreds of times. And then one day he had enough and he showed up. He showed up to church at like 5 a.m. But it wasn't open yet. Wayne was here probably, but it wasn't open. And uh, he got saved that day. Became a Christian. It was a man of great sin one day and was awakened to the greatness of God the next. Right? Like there's an awakening. There's, there's something. There's a gal who's been coming to church here for a few weeks now. She, she, she's a... Uh, She's never been to church her whole entire life. She's been coming to church, and she said, uh, I asked her in the gym the other day, I said, how, how has it been for you? And she said, well, I didn't grow up in church. Her dad is a hell's, was an old hell's angel. She said, it's changing my thinking. I'm thinking differently. Right? She's becoming awake. And, th- and then one, one day, all of a sudden, you're like, dude, I am sold in to Jesus. And something about coming to church on a regular basis becomes appealing. Like, no one's got to drag you here. In fact, you're willing to shovel four feet of snow to get here. Like, I need to be here because it's worth it and God is good, right? And it's like no one's got to convince you. No one's got to bend your arm. It wasn't like when I was a kid when my mom and dad had to, like, try to wake me up and I'd pretend I was asleep until they went for church and then I'd go downstairs and watch football. Right? There was no convincing, you know, me to go at the time. And then you have another awakening. All of a sudden, songs that you didn't like, you want to sing. I mean, I like some heavy metal stuff, but every now and then I put on Shane and Shane. Uh, I, I love I the Shane and Shane. And it's like, you know, the smoothest, you know, kind of, I don't, I don't want to put it down, but it's not something that most people would dial me in for. Jesse loves Shane and Shane. But on occasion I do, on occasion I'll sing it and weep. I'll just weep. And the God will move me. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden you go, you know what? You get another awakening. I need to serve. Serve what? I don't know. I'm just going to start serving. You start caring about your church enough. You, you start caring about relationship with God. You want to do something. And then you have another awakening. You might want to become an elder or, or a deacon or, or, or like me, a pastor, a missionary. It doesn't matter what it is. It's that God awakens you to something greater than yourself 
And then you start to realize this, is, this, this makes life more enjoyable. You feel more like that penguin. And it's silly, but you do. You, you start to feel like, I can't, I can't find satisfaction in anything else. And this is what the disciples say to Jesus. And Jesus says, you're going to leave me too? They go, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. You know, when you're sharing the gospel with people, what you're trying to get them to see is that life is truly more enjoyable with Jesus. It isn't that difficult. At least it shouldn't be, unless you're living Christianity wrong and somehow it's less enjoyable. If your Christianity is less enjoyable than it was before you came to know Jesus, you're not living according to the gospel. The gospel makes life more enjoyable. Now, now we've just gotten out of James. We've talked a lot about trials. We've talked a lot about tribulations. And those things are going to occur. So don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching some prosperity gospel that if you come to Jesus Christ, everything's going to be great. You're not going to have sickness. You are. It's going to be hard. Here's the news about life, though. It's hard anyways. Do you want it to be even harder? <laughs> no. I mean, I, you, you know, for as smart as I may seem at times, I'm very incredibly stupid also. And it's taken me all these years living here that I found out, I found out yesterday, yesterday <laughs> night, I enjoy plowing snow more if I listen to music on my headphones while I do it. Should not have taken me 40 years to figure this out. Something about dead silence while you're plowing makes plowing more depressing. Why do I mention that? You know who gave you the gift of music? The love of God. He didn't have to give you music. He didn't have to give you taste buds. Why? Because he wants you to enjoy this life. Why do you have sense? Why can you smell? You can enjoy life. That's the gospel. And when he says you were once dead, he's saying, listen, listen, there's a certain smell, a certain sense, there's a certain taste you have. You don't have me. When you have me, all of those things make sense. See, if you revolve your life around those things, right? It's like, it's like eating the same food every day for every meal. Eventually, man, it just doesn't taste good anymore. But when you're in love with Christ and you're living it the way that God intended it, things pop more. My marriage, I see it so beautiful only because of the lens of the gospel. My job here only makes sense because of the gospel. Even the seasons that we deal with here only truly are beauty, beautiful if you understand the gospel. Life, death, resurrection. We see it every year. It only makes sense with the gospel. So because of his great love, and, and you've got to look at verse 4, right? The bad news, sin, ugliness, death, decay. You're just like everybody else in Ephesus. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love. But God. And, and all of us need those moments, don't we? Some, some of you are here this morning, and you dragged yourself here through the snow because you need more but God moments in your life. And can I just say, say to you, man, there are more. There will be more. And he'll do it in his timing. So he says, okay, but God loves us. Why? Why? We just talked about the predicament, the problem, right? 
the potential. God loves us. And then, and then look, at, look at what he says in the rest of the text. By grace you've been saved, second part of verse 5. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice, notice this is all like right now language. Even though it hasn't totally occurred yet, he's saying this is true for you right now. You are seated with Christ. You're with Christ right now. He's present with you always. So that in the coming ages he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All about his kindness, all about his grace. And then he says, for, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. You didn't do it. It was a gift of God, not a result of works because you can't earn it. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, he says, it's, here's your sin. Here's the grace of God. Here's your purpose. Remember I said, remember I said you, you, were, you were the one that made it. You're not an accident. Our society right now, it is, it is an epidemic of depression and suicide, especially amongst our, our young people. It's through the roof. I, I, I want to say this last year, if I remember correctly, we broke all kinds of records for that. You want to know why? Because, because Satan, remember, remember there's a spiritual side to this? Beginning of chapter 2. The prince of the power of the air once you once walked. When you walk according to the prince of the power of the air and you surround yourself with the message that the world gives, the result is depression and sadness and anxiety. There's a direct correlation, in my opinion. I'm not speaking so much scientifically, even though I think you could find some studies that prove it. A direct correlation with how much time you look at a screen and where your depression. <clears throat> Some of you just be happier just turning your phone off. Remember I said, remember I told you though, I said, you'll know what an idol is and what you're worshiping if you get really anxious or you get really angry if someone removes it from your life. What if I said to you, you can't have your phone? I know which ones are suffering because you're twitching right now. And I'm, I'm guilty. I do a lot of work on my phone. Probably to my detriment. I am way more accessible to the community here as a pastor than I would have been 30 years ago. People can get a hold of me at almost any given moment and I'm there. What can I do for you? How can I help you? Or I'm doing this. Right? Is, is that making me happier? I, I Probably not. <laughs> I'm honest. Video games don't lead you to that. Your activities don't lead you to that. Right? And so, so we get to this place. We go, okay, wait a minute. I, if I'm here on purpose, and I'm the one that God, I made it here, not just scientifically, but from the gospel, God brought me here. He says that he knitted me in my mother's womb. He knew me before the foundation of the world. Why am I here? There's a purpose you're here. You have to share this with young people. You're sharing the gospel with young people. They have to know that God has given them a purpose. God has, God has birthed them into this world for a reason. You know, our job, and I'm, I'm even though people say uh, every now and then in our church here, I'm young. I'm, o- I'm only young because Wayne's older than me. I'm 40 years old. I, I mean, I'm at a place I would think, you can't call me young anymore. I asked some of the 18-year-olds in here, am I young? They'll tell you no. Very clearly, no. Okay, like, I, I, and my job, just as Wayne did it, is to pour the gospel into the next generation that they would take over. That's our job. If you go, well, who do I disciple? Young people. 
children's church, junior high, high school. God has a plan for those kids. And it isn't just to play Fortnite. It isn't. It isn't just to look at social media. It isn't to take pictures of themselves. It sounds silly, but these things are a call for help. Whenever I look at a social media page, and I'm on social media quite a bit, and I see a kid, he's got all kinds of pictures of himself, I just see a young man saying, I am desperate for someone to actually pay attention to me. It's a call for surface love, when what they're really asking for is someone to really love them for who they are. You know, we live in a day and age where, like, I, I, I could help grow the church more if I did more on social media, and I have a hard time doing it. I'm going to look at, hey, how are you Pastor Jesse here on the phone. Love for you to come down and see your Bible. I feel stupid about it. Love to see you anyways. Click. I, I mean, I've done it, and I know I need to do more of it because this is the culture that we're in. It'll bring some people here who don't know Jesus, but it's incredibly hard. I don't like looking at myself. I mean, I, it, there is a change of thinking. Those of you who are younger in the room, you're going to have to help me understand the appeal to the selfie. Do you think you're that good looking? I don't. I don't understand, you know, because I'm like, selfie, man, ugly, swipe, not doing it. I look fat in that one. <laughs> Our pictures are out here on this stupid screen in the foyer, all the leaders. Every time mine comes up, I want to call the guy, put it on there, tell him to change it. Can you do one with a sepia tone? Might make me look a little better. It's a struggle. Your purpose is for something greater. In the first service, Russ Grant was here. Russ is a firefighter who also has a side business. He creates these really cool custom leather pieces uh, for helmets, fire helmets, and belts, and things like that. He hand makes them. And uh, he recently made these leather uh, locker placards. The firefighters' names are on them, and they're just beautiful, black and red and, you know, they're going to go above the guy's lockers. It looked like from the post that he had that the uh, captain asked for him. And so Russ made him, made him, and I think the captain was probably going to give him to his guys as a gift. You know, real cool custom piece. So here I am on social media looking at this picture. And there's four or five names on there. All, all of them I know. None of them know Jesus, but I know all of them. Either from playing football with them in high school or coaching them in football. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Russ knows the connection. I was in their life for a period of time, giving them the only gospel they probably heard at that time. Now Russ is in their life, and Russ is sharing them with the gospel. All I could, all I could really see when I looked at, looked at the picture is, God loves those dudes. Jesus wants those guys saved. Thank you, God, that you put Russ in their life because I'm not there anymore. All of us know people. Hope. All of us know somebody. You, you are in somebody's life because you are a workmanship of God prepared for good works. When? Beforehand. I mean, the question, when you say, well, who does God want to save? Well, you're in my life. He must want to save you. There's no other explanation. If you're in my life, if I know you, it's because Jesus wants you saved. All of you know people that need hope. They need the hope that's given in the Bible. They don't need more of what the world's giving them. They don't need to be told to strive for more, to obtain for more, to be more entertained. I mean, the last thing we need is another streaming service. 
Disney's coming out with one. I'll probably get it. But we don't need another one. It's just like when you cable television, you have satellite. Do you need that many channels? You know, there's a channel you can watch NASCAR all day. I used to tease my dad about it. When he want to watch NASCAR? I go, no, I'd rather watch paint dry. He goes, why? And I go, he's just this all day long. Eventually, I'm done. And you can do it 24-7 somewhere. Are we that, are we that bored? And the answer is yes. And the reason we're that bored is because we're not living according to the gospel. Your life should be anything but boring. And when you ask the Lord to come into your life and you ask the Spirit to start using you, he's going to. And you're going to get into some weird conversations with people. And at first, let me just be honest with you. First, it's going to be hard. For those of you who aren't used to it, it's going to be hard. So I'm thankful for my years when I was in San Diego during, with the School of Evangelism where we'd go out on the street and have conversations with people. And one time I had a gal came, come up to me, and I have a, a Trinity symbol tattooed on my back. And I was at the beach, and I had my shirt off, and I wasn't fat then. And so I, I looked a lot better than I would now. So my shirt's usually on all the time. It's just a total side note. I'm ranting at this point. And um, this gal came up to me, and she said, what's that on your back? I said, this is a Trinity symbol, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And she said, no, it isn't. She had a big pile of books with her. I said, yeah, it is. She said, no, it isn't. I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, I would know. And I go, well, how will you know? And she goes, because I'm the bride of Christ. I said, oh, so you're part of the church. She said, no, 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 I'm his wife. Oh. And then she started to open up her books, and she showed me in her books all kinds. There was a big stack of books that she had handwritten, all notes on heaven and just stuff from just all over the place. And I said to her, I said, you know, I think you might be a little off base. And my buddy Travis, the one that we support with So Ministries, he was with me. We're standing on the beach. Here we are. We're both new in ministry. And we just did what we knew. We only, the only thing we knew what to do at the time, which was to go to the Gospels. And I said, well, let's go to the Gospels see what Jesus says about what you're talking about. And as soon as we said, let's go to the Gospels, she looked at us and said, we refuse to go to the Gospels. Who's We. And then she began to speak about herself in, in the plural from there on out in the rest of the conversation. She went her way. I saw her two years later rolling around a parking lot with her hand out of a window holding the Bible just doing circles in a 24-hour fitness parking lot. You get, you, when you share the gospel, you encounter weird things. And I didn't get her saved. I don't know if she's a Christian today. I just know it was a weird conversation. But I know, I know that when you start to share, weird things happen. But you know what else happens? People get saved. Do you believe it? I do. I've seen it. I've walked it. Speaking of Travis, he's one of those guys. We've got a whole group of people going on a mission trip down to Mexico to go serve him and serve orphans. And little kids who, who don't know Jesus yet and moms who've lost their husbands and they're going to be loved on. And you're talking about a man who grew up in a non-Christian home whose dad died at a young age and he came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because my grandparents saved the message. You never know what God's going to do. Here's incredible news. God's story is not done in Truckee, California. Not done in Lake Tahoe. Not done in Incline. Not done in Reno, because we're going there too. Dragging people from Reno. We're going to drag them from wherever. 
You know, you know when it, it talks about salvation, one of the Greek words that's used there is Jesus drags them to himself. You can fight, you can kick, and you can scream. Still going to end up saved. I'm thankful for that. That in spite of me, still came to me. And he'll do that for you when you're sharing the faith. In spite of your lack of knowledge, in spite of the lack of you know the right words, in spite of the right moment, God will still use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and to bring people to Jesus. So don't worry about getting it perfect, because you're not. I didn't get it perfect this morning. I won't get it perfect next week. It's not my job to get it perfect. It's just my job to point you to the one who is perfect. And then he saves you, and he cleanses you, and he washes you. It's about Jesus, and it always will be. Um, at this time, I want to ask the what elders I have here in deacons come forward. We might be a little short-handed on snowy day. Hey, you're here, and the worship team. If you you guys would come up, Dave, would you would you help serve, Dave? Uh, you guys don't know this. I don't want to take his crown, but you know he sets these chairs up for us every week? He's your man. <laughs> we all know how hard those are. Yeah, he's the, he's the chairman of Sierra Bible Church, yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to partake in communion this morning. Uh, you know, I... I got uh, a little emotional in the second service and just, or I'm sorry, the first service and, uh, you know, just a, just a desire of fear that I think I'd be, it'd be good for me to share with you this morning. I shared with the elders a few weeks ago, I had this fear, and I have this fear that, um, of contentment, <clears throat> contentment in the wrong way. Like my fear is, like contentment in the right way is like, man, God's good. I'm saved, and the work is finished. Like we should have a healthy contentment as Christians. Like The striving has ceased. There's only one whose good works earn us to heaven, and it's Jesus. And he worked his butt off to save you. The work's done. You can't add to that. But I fear in my own heart, like, man, I don't want to stop dreaming. I don't want to stop, like, getting us excited, like, like, I just don't want to show up to church every Sunday just to show up. I don't want to go through the motion. Like I want I want the love of God to be real to me personally. Because I can't, I'll be honest, I can't do this job without that. There's just no way. You can't you can't be a pastor and walk through memorial services and counseling sessions and hear about all kinds of dirty, rotten sin and and just show up for that. You can just, well, I'm just going through the you know, pe- because people start to realize that. Like, Man, that guy doesn't care about me, and that guy doesn't really care about the gospel. and he, Like, you just can't do it. You can't. And I don't want our church to feel that way either. I, don't want, I want you to come here just because, well, it's what I do. There's a lot of other things you can do. I don't want it to be real. I want, I want to fight for that. I want to fight to see more people come to the Lord. There's always this scary thing. I'm like, man, if I talk about evangelism, I talk about the gospel... I talk about people coming to Jesus, then, then what people are going to hear is, well, Jesse wants to make a church in Tahoe. Jesse wants to make the church bigger. And the answer is yes and no. 
It's no, like, I don't want a bigger church for the sake of having a bigger church. It's yes, because I want the kingdom of God to grow. That's what I've dedicated my life to, to see dead people come to life. And it's what keeps me going. Like, every now and then I'll be like, Lord, you've got to save somebody or I'm not coming to church next week. I need some hope. And then the Lord does something amazing in somebody's life, and it reminds me, okay, this is worth it. Melissa's mom just recently passed away. We were at a memorial service this week. Some dude from the, it was the Philippines, yeah? India, and then, but the, the guy who spoke up, Philippines. He, and just the way he said it, uh, Melissa's grandparents were missionaries in India and then the Philippines. This Filipino guy got up and he shared, and he said, he said, I'm a byproduct of this family because they shared, they shared their faith. He said, all of you young people in the room, he said, you should serve the Lord. It's worth it. I'm evidence of that. Here's the guy who got saved under that ministry, and he's standing up and he's saying, I am so thankful somebody had the guts to share the story of Jesus Christ. Some of you are that, aren't you? Are some of you here because somebody had the guts to say, Jesus is worth it? I hope that we have the guts to do it, not because we're trying to build something that, that, that is secular and big or a bigger company. No, 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 no. I want to see people come to Jesus Christ. And everything that we do, I can tell you, when I make a decision or the leaders make a decision, it revolves around that, as stupid as it may seem. Well, that's not very churchy. Well, good. We're not trying to reach churchy people anymore. They're already saved. Trying to reach non-churchy people. And we'll make them churchy later. And then we'll tell them why being churchy is wrong. <laughs> you know, it's like this weird thing you do in church. Just in... Okay. Some of us got to go home and shovel. <laughs> I encourage you to put on your headphones when you Lord, as we partake in communion, pray over this time that we be thankful and remember the good news, the great news, Lord. It's incredible news. We need to understand that we have to see ourselves as the sinners that we once were and still exist within us, but we have to see your great grace and love and mercy. And that great love and mercy has to just shatter, Lord, our old identity and sin. Thank you that you saw fit to bring us to yourself, and thank you that you want to use us to bring more people to yourself. We partake in this time. I pray that, Lord, you would be magnified and glorified in us. Just give us a few moments and partake together. We'll pass the elements and then partake together.